So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. This week's episode is a fun, funny, and at times hilarious conversation with a former colleague of mine, creative whiz, Chris Kalouris. What I love about Chris's career journey is that it is firmly rooted in a thought that I think many of us have, but rarely express quite so crisply. And that is that the canvas of life is at some fundamental level so unbearably boring. And so for Chris, the workplace has simply become the paintbrush with which he offers his world, our world, some much needed color and flavor, which as you'll soon hear, he's already done in spades. But as you listen to some of Chris's amazing tales, I urge you to consider the relationship he has with the concept of consequences, a concept that I think all too often suffocates the best of us. Chris, however, for all intents and purposes, doesn't give a rat's ass about consequences. And there's good reason for that. And that reason is undoubtedly his upbringing and particularly his mom. So that said, time to buckle up because these next 45 minutes, I promise, will be action-packed with some good entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Chris Kalouris. All right, Mr. Kalouris. Well, firstly, thank you for taking the time to share your journey. Anytime. Question number one here. Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what in the hell it is that I'm doing here on this planet? Every single day. I I think what makes me always 15 minutes late for work is I I wake up and I'm like, do I really want to be doing this today? (laughs) Right. Uh, And then I realize that they pay me enough money to, to make me stop asking that question and I, and I, and I get to work. Uh, but I, yeah, I think, yeah, every day I'm wondering, is this what I really should be doing? And is there something else I should be doing that is more fulfilling? But Yeah. How long do you think you've sort of been asking yourself those types of questions about purpose and mission? I, I think... I mean, I think pretty much since I was a kid, but I think when you're a kid, you, you kind of think about life a little bit more in terms of here's what I'm going to do when I'm older and it's going to be awesome. Right. Like by the, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a millionaire. And by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be retired and I'm going to do all this fun stuff. Uh, and as you get older and you're actually in the workforce, I, I think it shifts and you're like, oh man, I, I hope I find the time to actually do the stuff that I thought I wanted to do when I was 16 or 12. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, it switches as you get older in life. Let me ask this question then from another angle. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? Well, no. I mean, no. I thought I'd be like a millionaire, but hasn't happened yet. No. Yeah. Because when you're a kid, like you're, you're. I don't know. I kind of always looked at the world in terms of all the different cool toys I'd want to have when I was older, and they, you know. So when you're a kid, it's like the best video game system. And when I and I loved cars when I was a kid, so I was always like, I want to. Ferrari one day and I was so I so thought I'd have it and I probably would if I didn't buy Grubhub stock a couple years ago but you know that's that's life but um I think I've always been been thinking about it but I think you know I think if if you were to ask me that question 15 years ago when I started working 
is and I and I knew what my profession was, I would say yeah. yes, I'm absolutely in the role I want to be in uh, it, 15 years down the line. Yep. Yep. Can you just tell everyone what is it that you do today? Sure. So I do public relations and marketing uh, for mostly for consumer packaged good brands. And my specific role is I help connect brands to cultural moments. And I help brands sort of just do interesting things that will create really compelling stories to get people engaged. Because um, my fundamental belief, I, I think everyone shares this, is that most marketing is terrible and we don't wake up and want to engage with brands. So I help brands sort of do stuff that people would want to engage with. Yep. And so now thinking back, Chris, to your childhood, what, what, was kind of, what was the first idea that you had of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Right. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, it's hard because I never really thought about when, – when I was in school, I never really thought about what the career would be coming out of what I studied. And this is like yeah. – this is kind of scary because it was like that way all the way through college even <laughs> right. where it was just there was just so much more of an emphasis on just having fun and 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 playing around and and it's it's ironic cuz all the stuff that I played around with and had fun with ultimately ended up being the things that shaped my career right. but it was never never the stuff I studied so I studied in college journalism and, and with a public relations minor I, I didn't even know what the hell public relations was though <laughs> you know it, and and the only reason I went into public relations and didn't become a journalist and I'll never forget one of my teachers said to me right at, at right when we were graduating he said Chris do you want to own stuff or do you want to write about stuff I was, I was like, what? And he's, he's like, well, if you want to own things, because he knew I liked cars and stuff. He's like, if you want, if you want to write about cars, you know, go into journalism. But if you want to own a nice car, go into marketing. And I was like, all right, well, <laughs> thanks for that great advice. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go into marketing. And I think he was right because most of my journalist friends have suffered uh, greatly over the, the last few years in terms of finding good jobs and consistent pay. So, but then stepping back even further, what got you to even go to college to study journalism and marketing or public relations? I mean, going to college is just—it's just something that I didn't—I don't—I didn't have a choice really. I mean, my parents were—you know—they they placed a high emphasis on education, and so uh, when it came time to go to a school, I, I think like a lot of kids, I just sort of wanted to get into the best school I could and yeah. unfortunately unfortunately for me i went i was in a high school that didn't have a lot of people and there was a lot of really really smart kids in this school who who were like picking schools like duke as like their safety school and i'm like great you know i'm not gonna get it anywhere because i think my sats were like 1250 maybe 1300 and that was back in the day when you took like math and uh, English and you combine the two and you had your best two scores over like taking it three times. <laughs> right. So I just wanted to get into the best school. So I ended up going to Lehigh because it was the best university that uh, I could get into. And I even got like waitlisted from them. I'm like, great. I'm, they don't even really want me. So I'm just going to get in. Um, and when I was there, I was just, but I was liberal arts for the first two years. So it wasn't like I picked a school based upon they had, uh, you know, an academic program that was what it, that was perfect for what I wanted to do with my life because I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Yep. And then just gut checking this further back as a child, was there was there any point where you had some idea of some profession that was of interest? 
No, I mean, because my dad, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think as kids, you're sort of like you're exposed to the workforce by the people around you. Yep. And, and so I had a dad who worked for a pharmaceutical company who worked crazy hours. So I never really saw him. And when he came home, he never talked about his career. Yep. Like, I never knew. I don't. I still don't even know what he did. Like he worked. <laughs> he worked at the same place for thirty-seven years, and I know kind of what he his role was. And my mom was uh, an an artist, and so she was she was a stay-at-home mom, and she did a lot of artwork, and and was always struggling to make ends meet early on, and in, in their careers, and then, and my mom was you know she so she wasn't like so much about career, career, career. And she was like super skilled though. It was when you watch someone who's got like an amazing skill, like an artist, you can't imagine them going into an office every day and doing like a a desk job. Right. Um, So so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know like what, so like most kids, you know, you want to grow up and be a a rock star or or Michael Jordan or be Axl Rose. Like those are the things that I was, I was like mesmerized by those individuals, not by some professional that I knew. Yeah. So tell me more about your parents. I mean, so, you, um, so your dad worked for this company that you didn't know much about. Your mom was an artist. What, um, thinking back, what kind of impact did they have on your uh, decision-making process along the way, uh, either explicitly or, or implicitly, do you think? I, I think they've sort of molded me uh, very directly. And, and, and it was a combination of, it was, very, it was a very even divide. It, my dad always thought that, my mom would spoil us by letting us sort of just daydream all the time, always giving in to like what we wanted to play with and we wanted the new Nintendo system and we'd got it. And so he would always come home and be like, you're spoiling these kids. They're never going to learn responsibility. They're never going to grow up to, to have that responsibility. Uh, and, and so my dad would always harp on work ethics, study, like get good grades and then you can have whatever you want. So it was like that balance that I always was struggling with. At the end of the day, it was more my mom's sort of laissez-faire, like do what you love, like don't worry about the money that was more helpful for me. But my, my father's discipline in, in, in getting a good education was so invaluable because at the end of the day – you can be the most creative person and have all these great ideas, but if you don't have a, a, a good educational foundation, you're not going to know how to apply it and execute on any of it. So it was, it was good having the, the artist and the businessman sort of colliding in my head throughout right. my childhood. Good. And let me ask this question from one other angle. On a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow, how large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? Yeah, I think money definitely uh, was a – on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say money was probably an 8 in yep. in, in pushing me to do certain things and take jobs and, and just get into the workforce. I mean, I, did, I – I, I, and I guess I picked a lot of this up from my dad because I always would hear him talk about it's important to be fi- financially secure. He would always have his five-year plan of his financial five-year plan, which I, which never he never there was never like a five-year milestone though. It'd always be like five years from now, and then it, that would come, and then he'd be like five years from now, and it's just like <laughs> wait, wait, when is like what's the end of this five-year plan? Like, um, but 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 I'll say this: I watched my father really, really, really be very financially responsible throughout his life and I always admired the fact that um, when most people would have 
some financial fortune, whether it's short-lived, they would go out and spend money and they would go get a second home and go get a boat or go do all these things. Uh, my dad would always just remind me, like he'd always say, like, you got to figure out how much do I live for today and how much do I live for tomorrow and always live below your means. Yep. Um, so I was always cognizant of that. I mean, given I was, when I got out of college, I was think like most kids, I was still going out and probably spending 80% of my paycheck on, on, on booze and going out and live, live paycheck to paycheck. But I always made an, an effort just never, never, ever get in debt. Now, I was fortunate enough to have parents who provided me with my, my college education, so I didn't come out of college with student loans. And I can't imagine, and I know so many friends and friends of friends who, who, who struggle with that, and, and I can't imagine the mindset of having to come out of college owing six figures when you're starting your career and you're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Chris, thinking back to um, f- family, friends, and colleagues throughout the years, um, that have come up to you for advice or sought your counsel. Has there been a particular thread in what they've come up to you for? Um, I think, you know, people, they ask me, I usually, people usually talk to me about things they know I'm into. So I get, I mean, I get a lot of questions about Guns N' Roses. Right. <laughs> it's like whether or not I think they're going to reunite. It's, right. fi- it's finally happening. Uh, I think within my, Within like my profession, it, to, I think the question I get asked the most is, is just how did I create a how did I create the job I'm in? Because I think a lot of people look at me at work and they're like, you you get to be really creative, you get to come in every day, almost like make my own hours in a way, and, and build my own teams that are awesome. And people will ask me like how how did I get there? A lot of times people will ask me in a way that's almost like like you suck, you get to do this and how come I'm stuck doing this? And the advice I always give everybody is is just especially cuz I've worked for big marketing agencies, you just got to create the career you want. I mean, that's like the new work. That's the new reality of all jobs. Is no matter what job you're in or what you're doing in life, you can create your own existence. You just yep. have to do it. You just, and you just have to say you won't do the stuff that you don't want to do. And that's a hard thing to do. I, in my first job, I'll never forget this. My first, I had this like terrible boss who was above me and I was getting my first review ever. And my, my, the guy who was giving me re, the review ran the whole New York office. And he, he was like, what, what, if, if there's one change you can make, what would it be? And I said, you need to fire the guy above me. He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think most people would have the guts to say something <laughs> like that. But at the end of the day, like, I, and I also got the criticism from my early bosses. They're like, Chris, you only want to do the work you want to do. You don't want to do the work that you don't enjoy. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> totally right. Like, why would anyone want to do work they don't enjoy? And look, it's exactly. a balance, right? You've got to always put up with like some crap work at the beginning to get to the work that you really enjoy doing. But as long as you can show value, you, you know, you can open up opportunities that other people don't even recognize. Right. Where do you think that mindset came from? Definitely my mom. My mom is a, she is, she's a Sicilian mother and she has so much bravado and I've never seen a woman so powerful as my mother. Like she'll, she'll get her way regardless. And I have so many examples of that, but (laughs) she always would tell me a story and this was my mom telling me, 
a work story. So she actually worked at the pharmaceutical company where my dad worked, and she met him there. And she was one of the heads of the art department. And she actually designed the logo for the company and did all this great stuff. Um, but she said she got – she's always told me two career stories. The first one is when she was interviewing for them – they asked her if she knew how to do something, and she said, I absolutely know how to do that. And they said because they needed that. It was a critical part of the role that they were looking for. She had no idea how to do what they were saying. <laughs> and so she said she ran to the library, and she looked up how to do what that was and learned in 48 hours how to do the thing that they said they really needed to That's do. That's awesome. Yep. So that, that was my – I love that. Like, Fake it until you make I, it. Exactly. I, I love that. And then she also would tell me a story about her first raise. And her first raise was so little that she ran into her boss's desk and threw the amount on his desk and said, if this is what you think I'm worth, then find somebody else. Amazing. And ended up getting uh, the raise that she wanted. And so, you know, again, you, you, not everybody can do that. But I just learned um, that, you know, you, you got to fight it's it's they don't you know when you're working for someone they don't they're not your family they're not your best friends like they they don't love you <laughs> I was talking about this <laughs> yesterday with someone i'm like at the end of the day you realize like as you get older i think the one thing you realize the most is that the your colleagues don't love you <laughs> like, <laughs> right. the sooner you realize that it, it, the, the better because then it helps your negotiations like i'm not going to negotiate with my mom and dad to the point where like i'm going to leave them right right but you got to be able to do that with your with your bosses because it's the only way you really get ahead in this world is at times you need to go for a big land grab and you know, you got to recognize what that is but but at the end of the day you've got to create the value that allows you to walk in there and be like so you have to make it so they can't afford for you to leave and that's something you got to spend a career doing yeah no that's great and what how would you say that you've developed your value i mean in your mind what is your particular value right so my value and it, it always it, it this is why I, it takes me 15 minutes in the bathtub every day to to, to get <laughs> to work that makes me late is i always i'm always tearing my own like abilities apart in my head because i'm like wow my main value is that I help brands act like human beings. Now, where I struggle with that, because I'm like, wow, is that really even a value or a skill set in, right. in the world? <laughs> is is I have to help these brands with billions of dollars at their disposal just not ruin the internet and do fun stuff. <laughs> right. but, but I think my value is, at the end of the day, marketing exists in this world. And marketing is trying to connect to consumers. And I think my value is that I understand how consumers think better than brands even do with with all their R&D and all the stuff that they do they don't really get it they don't get what's going to move people right and i i know what moves people and i've sort of developed that throughout my life and i think and i always say that where i learned that the best was just in the classroom as a kid yep and when you're in a classroom i always said there's there's like two places you want either want to sit like you either want to sit in the front of the classroom and be the kid that always has the right answer and, and yeah, everyone in the room knows who that kid is. Or you could be the kid I always was, which was in the back of the room, <laughs> right. who threw the paper at the teacher <laughs> when they were writing on the chalkboard, and everyone in the room knew who that kid was. And at the end of the day, which kid do you want to be? And I think a lot of brands want to be the kid in the front who's just always right, always saying the political correct thing. And my whole 
thing was I always wanted to do the thing that disrupted, that got people's attention and made them know who I was. And so I've just applied that to the brands I work for is how can a brand do something disruptive enough that people can't ignore it? How can they throw that piece of paper at culture and, and make it stick and make something memorable? Love it. Uh, and Chris, what, again, the driving force for wanting to be that person, would you also credit that to your mom? Yeah, I, I, definitely. Because at the end of the day, like, the ultimate driving force is I, I find life otherwise to be so unbearably boring. <laughs> right. I, 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 I don't know how people get up and jump into the rat race with, you know, looking the same, doing the same thing, being robotic at work, yeah. I, I would just kill myself. I don't know what to, I don't know how to live a, in an in a existence that doesn't shake things up every once in a while. And when did you first have that feeling that this, that, that, that this thing, life is boring? Right. I think like, I think like my, ever since I can really remember, I, I just, you know, I grew up with a twin brother. I have an identical twin brother. So we, gr- we grew up our whole lives constantly entertaining ourselves. And I think when you grow up in that environment where you've got like your built-in best friend because you've got your exact identical <laughs> with you throughout this journey, we're, we're always constantly entertaining ourselves. And whenever we stopped like interacting, I don't know, just stuff. I just always felt that most, most of the time I was bored unless I was doing something that, that w- I was excited by. Um, but you could just see it. You know, I would just, I just looked down the street and I'm like, man, why is every car like this, like black, silver, or white? Like right. when there's all these amazing colors that could get attention, the world has constructed itself to be, I think somewhat boring, which was what makes art and which makes creativity stand out so much because the, the canvas is by nature somewhat boring because most people are somewhat boring. <laughs> they're not boring inside. They're not boring in their heads, but they're too scared to do something that stands out. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that that's just the reality of the world, and it's, it's a balance, and, and it, it'll always be that way. But I, I've just always been restless. I think there's restless souls out there that just can't, are never, they never feel satisfied. And that's great at times, but it's also, for a guy like me, it's detrimental when it comes to relationships and other areas of life where you, you need to learn how to settle down at times. And I, I can give you five women you could call that would, <laughs> <laughs> would validate my, you know, my restlessness. Um, let's talk about that, the flip side of that, right? So the restlessness, how has that played out in your career? What, what has been the downside? Yeah. No, it, it's a good question. I think the restlessness has, it's sort of, I think it sometimes stunts my ability to, to achieve more because I'm not always sure I, I want more. I, I, don't, I don't always want more responsibility. I don't always want to build my team out bigger. I don't always, I don't want to mess up the, the work-life balance because I, if I, you can go too far down the career road and you have no time to, to exercise. I, b- I believe so much in, in health and fitness and, yep. and feeling good. I, I, and I, I don't think you can be happy in life with a great career and, and an unhealthy body. I've, I've never, right. never seen that. Um, I also think I, I, when I get too restless, I think I have a tendency to, to parachute out often. So people might, there might be, there is definitely could be a criticism of me that, I'm not always available and I'm not always in it and I'm not emotionally invested in the work uh, even though the, these clients are are paying for me to 
to, to have that sort of passion that they have. So I think sometimes when I just don't want to take the stage, I, I just don't want to take the stage. And I don't, you know, it's, it's hard when you're in a position where you're always asked to be creative and you don't feel like performing every day. And sometimes you just want to, you know, throw the mic down and, and, and come back in a week when you have some new inspiration. So, and I think too, for me, it, the restlessness just takes a physical toll at times where I, I find myself a lot of times up at three in the morning, four in the morning, and I, I'll have a dream where I'm sort of thinking about something else I might want to be doing or some business I might want to try, and, and it just it wakes me up. You know, It yeah. just makes me feel like, crap, why aren't I doing more? Why aren't I creating a bedroom arcade business? I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, why aren't I doing other things? Um, but I think everyone feels that way. I mean, I just, I just think that sometimes uh, it, it physically takes over your life as well. So yeah, let's let's talk about that because there's you have obviously a lot of other interests. Um, how do you, you know, how do you see your future unfolding? Given that you have these other interests, and why aren't you doing those other things more? Right. I think what I I realize, um, and I've realized this a lot recently, is I have other passions. So my career is marketing, but I love. Um, I love arcade games. I love video games. I love cars. Uh, you know, and what I've, what I've, and I love Guns N' Roses, and that'll never change. <laughs> what, but what I've realized is, I think everyone has a big idea in their head about how they're going to make their career be 100 percent in. You know, they're going to involve their passions 100 percent in their career. So right. let's take, for example, arcade games and pinball, which I love. I um. If I look out in the world and I say, well, who's actually making money doing this? So there's a couple business opportunities for me. They're, they're the guys who are buying old machines and restoring them and reselling them. It, that's backbreaking work that doesn't make you a lot of money. And I don't even know how to work on machines. So that, I can't do that. The one area that I missed the boat on, and I could probably dive into this, is the whole barcade scene blew up. So these guys loved arcade games, but they realized like arcades are dead, but bars are not. And if you create a barcade and have booze and liquor and beer and, and the games are the backdrop, uh, you can make a successful business. And the guys who started Barcade in, in New York City have, have done a great job. I think they've got like eight or nine locations yeah. uh, out there. Um, and that's great. Uh, but I don't know anything about running a bar. And, I, and I've watched enough bar rescue shows on TV to realize that the number one way you lose all your money is to open up a bar. Yep. <laughs> right. I, think every, I think everyone jumps to that. It's like, well, I can do it. <laughs> like, right. And there's so much more, and the hours would probably be terrible. Uh, and so, you know, I re- and then I have a guy who runs a, a pinball place that just does pinball and his rent's $15,000 a month and he's never made a profit in three and a half, four years. Yeah. So I look at that stuff and I say to myself, okay, like you've got to, there's another way. And I, and I think what I've always been able to do is I've been able to take those things I'm passionate about and just by sheer will, I've been able to do marketing campaigns for my clients that have, that have been dead center on those passion points. So I was able to do a big marketing campaign around Guns N' Roses, around arcades, around pinball. So I bring my passions into the workplace and I, and I sell those dreams to my clients for a hefty amount an hour. Um, and, 
and then I'm happy because at the end of the day, I've been able to execute things that have that have been all about me and things that I love. And and clients are happy because it 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 excited fan bases and, and communities out there. Um, but it's it's great because at the end of the day, if it wasn't for some of the dreams I had in my head, like major, major campaigns never would have happened if I just didn't push them. So I feel a sense of fulfillment in that. And it might sound a little bit like egotistical and like I'm bragging, but I I do feel like I should be able to brag a little bit because anyone who's worked in marketing knows how hard it is to make your idea be the thing that actually makes it out into the world. I mean, it's so rare. And most most of the times the things aren't even that interesting. So I just, you know, I've been able to make my passions part of my profession. Of all the examples that you've done where you've brought your passions to work, which one would you herald as your number one success story? I mean, without a doubt, Guns N' Roses. And just to give to give the listeners yep. some, some background quickly. So my client was Dr. Pepper, and they wanted to do a marketing campaign that involved music, you know, because these big brands spend millions of dollars on R&D, and they realize that people who drink Dr. Pepper also like music. And that's, <laughs> that's as big as the insight was. And so um, my and this, this will give everyone an example of how I connect culture to a brand. And, and, and I, I was like, look, if we're going to connect to music why don't we connect to a musical story that has a lot of people's interest peaked right now and and that story that i knew personally because i i was invested in it um, was guns and roses had been promising a new album for almost 20 years uh in in the late 80s early 90s axel and guns and roses were the biggest band in the world and then in the mid 90s axel just fired everyone in the band and said i'm making a new album those old members don't realize my vision it's going to be called chinese democracy that was 1996 he did that so fast forward many many years later um, Guns N' Roses has all new members. Axel plays the Video Music Awards in 2002. And they ask him, is Chinese democracy coming out? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know if soon's the word. And so more years go on. And so I'm working for Dr. Pepper in 2008. Now just think about that. This is almost 20 years since Axel, um, well, like, when is it, like 14? I don't know. We'll do the math. We'll edit it. So many years later, uh, Axel still has not released the album. And so I've said to them, look, let's do something to get Axel Rose to finally release Chinese Democracy. And my clients had no real idea about this story, but the rationale I gave them was, look, Guns N' Roses has sold 90 million albums. And everyone knows Guns N' Roses. It's not like I'm selling some like startup <laughs> band. You know, it's like, so they get it. They're like, okay, what, well, Chris, what could we do to get Axel to release Guns N' Roses, like the new Guns N' Roses album? I'm like, well, we have to do something gorilla. You can't call up Axel Rose and be like, hey, like we want to, you know, support your album. He would hang up the phone immediately. So what we did was totally gorilla, probably the most daring and like, crazy press release I'll ever put put out in my entire life we basically offered everyone in America except for two people a free Dr. Pepper if Axa Rose would release the new Guns N' Roses album Chinese Democracy anytime in 2008 okay so we we just put out that press release it it cost us like five grand to get it out the door and the two people we excluded from the free soda were Slash and Buckethead which are the guitarists that Axel kicked out of the band so I hear all the time, like, you can't do stuff. Like, you can't do stuff. You'll get sued. Like, we legally can't do that. So I don't know how, and this is where I think there actually is, like, a higher power sort of helping us along our destinies of life. Because yeah. the, 
the backstory in all this is I was I, I'm the biggest Guns N' Roses fan since I was like 12 years old. First concert I went to was GNR. I was on the message board every day for those 20 years trying to figure out when the album would come out. <laughs> so this was like my dream campaign. So we put out the press release. I get a call at my desk uh, that day, and I I pick up because my my name was on the press release, and yep. I pick up and it, it's Axa Rose's lawyer calling me and it's this woman I, f- I forget her name and she's like hi she introduced herself i'm axa rose's lawyer i'm seeing all this news about this offer i just wanted to get some background on it before i take it to axel right and so like the professional in me is like holy shit i'm gonna get fired this is exactly why all the lawyers say you can't go out with a press release without official permission from a celebrity <laughs> right. so but the fanboy in me the little kid in me is like oh my god like Something I said is going to get communicated to Axel Rose personally in the next few minutes. Right. So, like, this is incredible. So, I just told her real quickly, like, big fan, and we really support, um, you know, what Axel's working on, and we just really want the album to come out. We want to sweeten the deal for for everyone if he comes out with it. And then I left. I just I I shut my computer down and I went for like a walk. And I went I went for like a two hour walk. And the most amazing thing happened to me on that walk. Um, two, I got two calls. The first call I missed because I was just so stressed out and I didn't know what was going to happen. I probably thought it was my boss calling me to fire me, you know. Right. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> and I, I, li- I play the voicemail afterwards and it's this like really excited guy. And he's like, yo, yo, it's Bumblefoot. Um, I'm the, the lead guitarist for Guns N' Roses. I just want to say thanks, man, for supporting us. Like, no one really has given us much support, and I saw what you did, and I just want to say thanks. I love Dr. Pepper. Like, hit me back. That's awesome. So I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then I get another call from my friend at work, Josh Shaptai, and he's like, dude, you got to go to GunsNRoses.com right now. And I go there, and it's like Axel responds to Dr. Pepper, and he's like, I just want to – and his response was like – the most amazing thing. I actually started crying. It was like, so it's like the most perfect outcome for this thing at the beginning. We'll, we'll talk about the end of it all too. Yes. Um, and he's like, I want to thank Dr. Pepper for the support. Uh, neither me nor my marketing people were aware of this offer. It, it kind of came out of the blue. Um, I'm not sure, you know, and I'll share my Dr. Pepper with Buckethead because his parts are on the album. Yep. And and it was like, that was it. It was like, Amazing. it worked. Yep. Like the, the thing that everyone said would never work, worked. And, and, and I talk about it in a, in a way that's, that misses the years and years and years of me trying to sell this idea to other brands. Right. Also talk about this idea in the sense of all the battling with other ideas that I had to get through to, to, to make them go out the door with this one. The only reason Dr. Pepper let me go out the door with this press release, and this is something that everyone should realize, is because they said no to six other crappier ideas I gave them. <laughs> right. And it just felt bad. They were like, we keep saying no to Chris. Let's just let one go out. Right. See what happens. <laughs> they chose a good one. Yeah, so they chose the, the dream one. And, and, and so, you know, it was, it was a magical, like, eight months. At the yeah. end of it all, at the end of this whole, we actually got the album to come out. I mean, I always, I tell the story, like, like they, we changed music history with, with this whole offer. Um, now, at the end of it all, and this is part of the story that just is the reality of why I always want to quit every day, too, is because brands have such a hard time, like, owning up to what they say they want to be. At the end of the campaign... Axl Rose releases the album and you're supposed to get your free Dr. Pepper on the day the album came out. They got lucky. It came out November 23rd, which was a Sunday. 
but they didn't get their website ready. So it just crashed for 48 hours and it became this whole debacle. Then Axel's lawyer got mad at it. So there's all this press around Guns N' Roses legal is mad at Dr. Pepper, which they should have been. And I'll tell you, it took so much in me not to call up the New York Times and tell the truth and be on the side of Guns N' Roses and just throw my client under the bus and be like, they were right. Like my client didn't, you know, and I was so, cause I was so personally devastated cause I love the band so much and I love Dr. Pepper and it could have been such a beautiful ending, yep. uh, but it really depressed me. I mean, I was in a depression for a good two years after that and I didn't really want to do anything cause I learned that, you know, when you sell your dreams to these brands and, you know, they come back to bite you and I'll tell, tell your listeners another thing that, is the reality of work and working for people. So when this campaign hit, when it blew up in the press at the very beginning, I'll never forget, I uh, read a PR Week story about my client. Yep. And my client had done an interview about this, and he told a story about how he came up with this idea one night when he was playing rock band and, and basically took credit yep. for the idea. Yep. And he didn't come up with the idea at all. It was all mine. And you remember, he, he called me to apologize. He's like, I know how this is going to look. And I'm like, what, what do you, how it's going to look? I mean, you basically lied about <laughs> what, to make, you know, to, to take credit for this. And that's not the story at all. That, that's not how it happened. And, and that, that didn't really annoy me at the time because, like, it was, it was every, you know, everything was roses then. Like, things were going great. We were, you know, I was so happy. I, I, I didn't care. Like, at the end of the day, you know, I had, I had the connection with the band. I became friends with the band members. Um, you know, I, I met Axel. He didn't. And I always remember, too, when the band, I, I ended up becoming good friends with a lot of the band members. I, I always, re- I'll never forget, like, he, that guy would always be like, can I, can I come to the concert? Can I? I'm like, well, it was your idea, man. I'm not sure. Why are they inviting you? Like, I'm shocked that, uh, that, 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 that not recognizing you and, and the thing too is this never never ever and this is some good advice to everyone out there never take credit for a creative idea that's not yours and it happens all the time i yep. mean my my yep. guns and roses dr pepper is on every single person his resume who probably worked like within 50 feet yeah 50, yeah 50 <laughs> yards of it. they didn't really work on it but at the end of the day it's like it's an exciting thing to talk about but here's why you should never do it and even though it happens all the time then they're going to hire you and then they're going to want to see similar type ideas come from you. Yep. And you'll sink so quickly. Yeah. And, and I think my, you know, my resume looks like the, the resume of a mad scientist, but best believe when, when I get hired, you're going to get some crazy ideas and you're never going to second guess whether or not those other ideas were mine. That's right. What, what is it you think about our profession that, um, that causes that behavior? kind of co-opting, co-opting others' ideas. Right. And, and, and I think in no other place do you see it more than advertising. Yeah. Where, I mean, it's, it's, it's normally like 50 people taking credit for one idea. Um, I, I think it's that people have nothing to show for their work. Yeah. Nothing to show for their time. Uh, I would say 95% of what people do in marketing is throwaway work. Yeah. And, and they, they work on pitches and projects and PowerPoint decks. Most of it's PowerPoint decks, slides that go nowhere, that, right. that show nothing, that mean nothing, right? right. And so if, you've, if you, your whole career, that's the thing, right, where life becomes unbearable. If you realize that your whole career has been for nothing exciting or has produced nothing of value, you have to then 
do what my mom did and do a little bit of a lie and say you did some of it or you know how to do some of it. But again, if you're going to stand next to work that is exciting, then you've got to learn how to do it and you've got to think that way. Yep. So, Chris, so you have this amazing experience. Obviously, it still resonates with you to this day. Do you feel like that experience is toppable? Like, can you, what comes after that? Yeah, I mean, the only way to top it is if you come out with another Guns N' Roses album, <laughs> which he's never going to do. I mean, it's like, but in 10 years, like, I'll make it happen. Um, like, I think that it, I don't think I'll ever top that. Uh, I probably got more, even more news, maybe more news for my arcade story, yep. which I personally did. So that was like, I, I would, I hold those two stories up. So for the listeners out there, if you Google man builds arcade and loses fiance, uh, <laughs> you'll see my story. And, and the, the, this is an easy story to tell. I was dating. I was engaged. I was living with my fiance at the time in Brooklyn. And I woke up one day and I looked around the apartment. And I was like, holy crap, there's nothing in here that is reflective of me. I can't marry this woman. <laughs> she has completely like transformed me into like what she wanted me to be. And, and she was about to have me sell my apartment in New York City to buy an apartment in Brooklyn that she wanted. And she had me so convinced that that is what I wanted. And I didn't want to live in Brooklyn. I, I, I like Brooklyn, but I just I, I like being able to walk to work every day. And so Murray Hill is the place for me. So I, while we were still together, I transformed my New York City apartment, which was vacant because I was living with her in Brooklyn. I transformed the bedroom into an arcade, and I loved it. It was like, it was like building the the. You know when you're like in a place that's not you, and then you're allowed to build a place that's a hundred percent you. And you're if you're a man, you that place will not be attractive to women. So I, <laughs> I went all in. It's like this amazing arcade. You guys, if you just Google it, you'll see the images. And by the time I was done, and by the time I put all my effort into this room, it took about six months to build, our, our relationship ended. And I realized that it was actually a good exercise for me to, it was a good project to sort of pull me out of a, of a situation that would have ended poorly for me if I had gotten married. And so being the PR guy was, I actually had a story that was going to be written in Wired, on, on Wired.com about, about just the arcade. But I knew that the headline would be better if it was like, man builds arcade, loses fiance. <laughs> Other than, you know, then just like, you know, 30 something year old virgin builds arcade. That would have been the headline, like if, if, if you know, if, if, if I didn't spin it a little. And so the headline took off and it, it, hundreds and hundreds of news stories picked it up uh, and it went all over the world. And it, it was awesome. It was, I think it even had like almost more virality than my Guns N' Roses story. But what was, what was fun about that one it was for the, it was like, and what made me laugh is for the, I was in control of that one, right? I was like the brand. This was like brand Chris yeah. p putting himself out into the world. And I got, I got two types of feedback from people all over the world. And it was so, so satisfying. I got a lot of, well, we'll see this. I got a lot of, every man was like, dude, you're my hero. Like <laughs> you are like, I wish I could do this, but my wife or girlfriend won't let me. I heard that from hundreds of people. And then we're talking like Greece, Australia, US. Like, so this is like a universal thing that every guy can relate to, which is like my passions have been like smothered by my mate. And men can relate to that because men never want to grow up. Every, and a lot of women were like, dude, you're a loser. You're never going to get any action. Like grow up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then there was like that other subset of women that were like, oh man, your, your fiance sucked. I would love to date you. Like I got so many, like I got 
proposition <laughs> from all over the world. Um, and, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, I think it, it just taught me one thing. It's like you just got to – if you just be who you are, if, if you just like let – what's inside you become what's in your physical world yep. like good good things will happen because yeah. your passion people are drawn to passions and you know my passions i think take the extreme form at times like the arcade in my bedroom um but it all worked out i'm living with my i have a new girlfriend she's from ireland she's awesome she totally loves it she's like dude we're not we're not getting rid of this room yep like how can you it's like an iconic New York, it should be like a New York City landmark. If I sell right. this apartment, I'm selling it with the room the way it is. I'm not, that room will, will remain what it is, yeah. uh, for, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I think I forgot the original question. Yeah, it's all good. This is great. I can't wait to send this to like my parents. I feel like this, this will give them more of an insight into me than like any, they don't, I feel like they, <laughs> they don't know you. Yeah, they don't know, yeah, exactly. Like, every time I call my dad, it's like, we talk about cars and it's like, if I start talking about anything else, he's like, I gotta go, so like, <laughs> your pops. <laughs> what, you uh, oh, God. I was gonna say, how did they react to um, Bedroom Arcade? Oh, they, it was funny because like my mom, my mom was just like, my mom has seen my bedrooms over the years and they were always like toy stores and like crazy collections. Like my bedroom one year was like a bat cave. Then I turned it into a transformer <laughs> toy, toy shop. Like she's just like, welcome back, son. <laughs> like, right. like, where you been? <laughs> right. and, then, and then she was at dinner and she overheard these people next to her talking about did you hear about this guy who like built an arcade in his bedroom and lost his fiance? Oh, that's and my mom's like proudly like, that's my son. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Like as long as they like their love and support, like as long as, you know, I have that and I know I always will. And it, that's all that matters. And, you know, it's, it's their, their, their validation is all that matters. Yeah. And, yeah. And cause they put me in a position to, to be me. And I think other people have a harder time being themselves simply because they're, they, they might have just grown up where their parents, you know, beat beat the creativity and the imagination out of them, That's and made, right. you know, made life hard. And you know, it's hard when you grow up like that. Yeah. One more question here before we wrap up. It knowing now what you know today, and having been through all these experiences, any advice you'd give your younger self? Buy Facebook stock at eighteen dollars a share instead of an engagement <laughs> ring. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, I, you know, I think I would give my younger self a, a few things of advice. I would not chase vanity when I when when I was younger. Like I I I I was dressed to the nines. I looked so successful in my twenties. Yep. And I had no money. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't I didn't put money away. I didn't I didn't start a four hundred one k. I didn't invest. I I literally just wanted to like it, this whole like I got caught up in the whole the the image of being young and. And I, but I wasn't like in shape. I didn't work out. I just wanted to like look successful. And I think a lot of young people, more more so nowadays than ever, are we're, we're just like we're fed that like perception is reality, and it's like the complete opposite is true. Yep. Um, I would I would definitely save more when I was younger. I probably wouldn't have taken a few jobs that I took. Um, I I'm really good at disruptive public relations. I I oftentimes used my good case studies there to get jobs in advertising and social media, and I sort of found myself in 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 fishbowls that quickly killed me and qu yeah. killed my inspiration and my creativity. And I say, if you find what, if what you're good at, just stick to it and keep growing. You know, keep figuring out a way to to get recognized. And 
And the ultimate advice I can give everybody is you have to do something that gets you recognized by the senior leadership in your company. There are people that work 10 times as hard as me that they don't even, the senior management doesn't even know who they are. Yep. And, and you got to create the value because at the end of the day, time does not equal value. You know, what, what's valuable is, is a good idea that gets executed and makes, moves the needle for the clients. They don't, they don't, no one cares about all the, all the busy work. No one ever does. No one, yep. and don't, don't get stuck there. And if you're stuck there, that's when you need to like look in the mirror and be like, well, like what's my gift? What am I good at? What am I passionate about? And you need to like apply that to whatever you're doing. Chris Kaloris, amazing stories. That's right. Don't forget the GoFundMe, guys. I'm, hope, I'm trying to get a Bugatti Veyron. Please donate today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, total troll. I love it. Right, right. Thanks, Kerr. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.